Good morning, everyone. Uh, Hector Silva here from Advanced Design Sketching. We're here with industrial designer uh, Joe Bowers in San Francisco, California. We've been here since Thursday, and this is our fourth kind of final ADS Live wrapping our trip up here. So, Joe, thank you so much for allowing us to uh, come to your house and uh, kind of host us here. Yeah, no problem. This interview, we really, really appreciate it. We haven't been to this part of the city yet, so kind of exciting. The park side, nobody comes to park side, that's why. It's beautiful. I'm trying yeah. to make it a thing. I'm trying to make park side a thing. Park yeah. side San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, you have Baker Beach here, you have Golden Gate, and everything yeah. is so, like, nature-wise, everything is pretty close, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, everything's more convenient than you realize. Yeah. That's definitely true. Twin Peaks, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we kind of know of you from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um because you go by the well, right? And that's Correct. a very catchy. I think when you join the Instagram community, I think uh, there's a good list of designers that I think yours is very catchy and pretty awesome. And uh, you have a very interesting, uh, diverse design background. So let's get to know you a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That's, where'd you go to school and kind of how did you start your industrial design career? Uh, kind of by accident. I actually uh, was going into... Actually, I was planning on going into the medical field. I wanted to okay. be like a nurse practitioner. I wanted to practice what they called at the time uh, uh, integrative medicine or complementary medicine. I think they might still call it that, but it was like integrating Eastern holistic style kind of medicines with hospital, hmm. like traditional Western hospital care. I had this whole plan, um, but it turned out that I was not good at school. <laughs> I was not good at science classes. Um, I loved the science classes, but I wasn't good at getting the grades that I needed to no. do that well. And it was stressing me out pretty badly. And I kind of just had one of those um, moments where everything fell apart and I needed to put my life back together and somehow ended up with when <laughs> the dust cleared and settled, I ended up with all art courses for the following semester. Um, and I promised myself earlier in my life that I wasn't going to go to art school because I, I wanted to have a real job. But I had to take all these art classes, I think, to kind of restore my sanity and heal from like all the stresses of school. Mm-hmm. And one of the classes I took, ended up taking, was typography, which sounded oh, wow. super boring. <laughs> I had no interest in it. And it was a prereq for uh, another class that I wanted to take that I can't even remember what it was. And I was actually really annoyed that I had to take this typography class as a prereq for this other class because I was only planning on doing art school for one semester. But I took the typography class anyways, and about a week into it, I fell absolutely in love with typography. I just thought it was the most amazing, mythical, invisible world that we all look at every day. Mm. Um, got super stoked about it, and that was like the gateway drug to finding out what graphic design was. Yeah. And then graphic design eventually led to me um, finding industrial design pretty late in the game. I was like about two weeks out from starting my, my graphic design program. Oh, wow. Um, and I found out about the uh, industrial design program mm-hmm. and, and quickly pivoted and switched to that. But, and yeah, and I was, I was just, it was immediately in love with design. And this was, where'd you go to school? BYU. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's good. You know, yeah. I mean, you at least started in design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was at BYU. You were a student there from 2009 to like 2013, I think. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I never remember. And, <laughs> um, 
So not so long ago. Yeah. And while you were there, you interned in a couple places, right? Yeah. So my first proper design gig, kind of an internship, kind of a job was at Skull Candy okay. Headphones in Park City back in like their heyday when they were like blowing up. No. Um, really interesting time to be there. And I was kind of a graphic designer slash product designer because mm. basically all the design at that time was like just slapping on graphics yeah. onto a headphone. Um, but, uh, but then I went from there and went kind of the opposite end of the spectrum and, and started and interned at Studio Drawer okay. um, in New York City. And he's um, was making waves at the time. He's in Forbes. And I, I just really liked his process and his way of approaching things. And um, But he was very much a like high fashion, um, you know, feature level, like sell furniture in mm. museum <laughs> stores kind of guy. Like it was very high-end furniture stuff so you went from like utah to like new york city yeah How utah is doing with like consumer action yeah. like cheap ass yeah. headphones in the action sports <laughs> industry to you know like high-end high-end yeah um cocktail party mm-hmm. new york scene um and it was interesting seeing you know exploring both ends of that spectrum of those extremes and kind of and that being a good way of me kind of finding out where i land in in, in between and kind of uh, I, I kind of feel like if you understand people at the extremes, it makes mm-hmm. all the people in the middle a lot easier to understand. Um, and so that's kind of become a habit for me. I kind of just go from one extreme of an ideology to the other, and I become very fascinated with the polar ends of spectrums. But it was really yeah, interesting. Did, did that like shape, or did that, did that those two experiences at least um, allowed you to, like you said, you know, kind of look at both ends of the spectrum? Uh, did that have any influence in your design work? I mean, you went from like Utah to New York City. It was a gigantic city. Right. Um, and this was, and then you went back to school, right? To kind of yeah, finish up school. I went back to school and then, and then went to Ziba in Portland. Wow. So yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely has had an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a more confusion than anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly, I'm still searching for that, you know. Okay that stream of where like where my actual identity lands and all those things but I, I also don't think as a designer that that's necessarily very important right. like your job is to you know meet the consumers demands not right. your own needs for personal expression that's what art is mm-hmm. and design is not so it's it, it's been very useful for that that I can I can mold to different mindsets and different consumer groups pretty yeah. comfortably now yeah that's great so then you graduated and you went you went to Zebo for full time. No, no, internship. Okay. Third internship. So. Just I wish I could have kept doing internships. Yeah. I love internships. Well, that's great. But then you went to Portland, which is another great mm-hmm. city. Great know, city. Design community is strong there. A lot of companies, a lot of corporations there. Yeah. So tell us your experience there. It was really good. You know, it's a very, um, I don't want to say stereotypical. That's the wrong word. It's a very prototypical um, industrial design studio. You know, they have all the big clients. They have the Nike, the Procter & Gamble's. Um very much, you know, in a similar vein as IDEO and all those big guys. And it was really good for me to see the inside of that too. Um, and see what like the very, you know, the, the kind of design that they prepared for you, prepared you for at school. Mm-hmm. And I got to experience it. Um, and that was really my only experience with it. I, I kind of mm-hmm. deviated. Well, actually that's not true. I, I did experience a couple more years of it, but it was, um, yeah, it was enough to be to kind of get a sense of what what is what the 
what industrial design actually is, which when I was in school, yeah. I remember thinking that all the time, I'm like, what even is industrial design? I still don't exactly understand what it is or what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it, that was like my first experience being, oh, okay, and now I kind of, now I kind of get what it is. Yeah, I think in school they teach you, it just depends what school you go to, but a lot of programs are very like one way of teaching you industrial mm-hmm. design. And then you expect that when you leave, you're like, okay, my jobs are going to be what I'm being taught at school. Right. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And mm-hmm. you're just like, especially now more than ever, where industrial design can be anything. It's so... I think back in 2009, it was still a little traditional because mm-hmm. I graduated in 2009. And I left school and you could really, you know, the only opportunities available were some very traditional cat sketching, prototyping. Right. Uh, but now it's like define industrial design right so and i don't know if schools are prepared to equipped to to provide the students to prepare them for industry well i mean it would be impossible there's just so many different routes to go i mean i don't know about you but like my graduating class i like look at everybody that i graduated with and there's like i think like one guy Mm -hmm. working in like a traditional industrial design studio everybody else is just like yeah all sorts of different crazy things starting their own brands working in the medical field i mean everything in between well yeah like you know when i graduated i think like the jobs that exist now that we use through apps they don't even exist right airbnb uber lyft you know like yeah crazy yeah so industrial design is like we're evolving to adapt to what how design comes and is shaped and it's interesting because you then went from ziba and then you worked at levi's uh, yeah, well, later, right? Yeah, later. Eventually, which, which my when most I, when recent I, gig was Levi's. Right, so when I think of that, I'm like, what kind of industrial designer were you doing? You know, like, yeah. so we can talk more about that in a bit. But from when, so you lived in Portland, you interned there. Uh, was it really like Portlandia? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, all the stereotypes were yeah, 100% the stereotypes true. Are and there, I mean, the writing team all lived in wow. town and was like all there. Uh, my girl was actually. Uh, an extra in Portland at the time, in Portlandia at the time. That's like cool. it, it's definitely very much grown in that town. Yeah. But, nice. Yeah. So what happened after you left? Uh, like once, once you were done with your internship at Ziba? What did happen after that? <laughs> it was like a lifetime ago. Oh, I helped actually start a studio mm-hmm. um, in Salt Lake City with a couple other guys. Um, mainly, uh, and it was a studio that had a couple relationships with a few factories that we, were useful in leveraging while we designed for basically the startup scene in, in Salt Lake City, which is pretty vibrant and actually surprisingly active. Um, landed a bunch of contracts there and basically played around and it was a really fun um, experience for me just because I got to not only be a designer, but I'm also chasing clients. I'm you know doing a lot of those meetings. I'm managing a team of designers. Um, have a skate park in my mini ramp in my studio that I helped build. It was just, it was kind of a fun way and a low pressure way of kind of just getting a 360 view of all aspects of the design business. So more of the business aspects, right? Uh, Management kind of. Yeah. It was like, you know, I was doing a lot of the design work and I was doing, you know, a lot of the admin and the management. And I mean, it was like splitting my time between, you know, going to these client meetings and pitching, final mm-hmm. designs and then like shopping for the right paper shredder and you know, like things that you you wouldn't normally yeah. have to do it in a normal studio Hero and stuff yeah wow but it was a it was really really fun wow. and that that actually evolved and ended up being the well like uh it started as Hensel, and then i kind of took 
a couple of clients and went off on my own mm-hmm. um, and kind of ditched the whole studio to just do freelance thing by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's basically when the well started and it was originally a design studio and oh. the, the intent was to have kind of a network of, of partner designers. Gotcha. So what this, so why, why the name the well? Um, <laughs> it actually comes from one of my graphic design professors who every time I ran into ran out of ideas or I was clearly like running on empty with, I kept presenting things and he'd always be like, you're designing in a vacuum, designing in a vacuum. You need to fill the well. Um, and it was kind of him calling me out on the fact that I started designing without, you know, really uh, filling myself with the right inspiration, with the mm-hmm. right input, with enough historical, you know, research on the brand or on what they were trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is when you, and if you don't do enough of that stuff, if you're not inputting um, inspirational material or insight or yeah. narrative or story, uh, your your designs end up being very empty and yeah. sad. And so he was constantly reminding me to fill the well, fill the well. And um, so that's become kind of interesting. Mantra. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Wow. And that's even my podcast, um, Create Consume, is if that's that's the point of it. It's um, constantly trying to remind us that creating and consuming are equal parts mm-hmm. and it's an, it's a constant cycle and it's pretty much all there is to life in my opinion we're just in a cycle of creating and yeah. consuming and what we create is equal to the quality of what we consume and uh just a constant reminder i need personally constant reminders to continually improve the things mm-hmm. that i'm consuming rather than just getting stuck in a loop of you know going on reddit and just right consuming whatever is just like put in my face without my deliberate choice because there's so much good stuff out there and we're going to die soon you know <laughs> and we're all going to die yeah. soon and there's so many good books so many good movies so much good design and artwork and mm-hmm. just we gotta gotta take advantage of the time we got yep absolutely life is short time moves fast time is something we can't get back so no no. Yeah, so that might be a bit heavier answer than you wanted. But the well is. <laughs> no, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. What? So under this brand of the well, what are some things that you've been able to accomplish? Some you know, that you're proud of. You know. You know, mostly I'm really, I'm not proud of anything yet. <laughs> you know, I'm always looking towards the next project, next sure. project, next thing. Um, I'm really glad that uh, by going out on my own and kind of paving my own path, I do have a really wide range of things mm-hmm. that I've done. Um, to the point where it's kind of hard to define what kind of designer I am. Uh, just because I've done furniture, I've done headphones, consumer electronics, soft goods, and most recently fashion and accessories. Um, and I like the breadth there. And I feel like it's a good foundation for whatever comes next, which I don't know is yeah. what it is yet, but it's been fun to kind of play around. Um, ideally, I would love to kind of help bridge a gap. And I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but... I feel like there's a gap between tech and fashion that needs to be closed in order for either one of those things to really move forward. And like the Jakarta jacket at Levi's kind of helped fill that gap. Google Glass was like, I feel like the first stab at it. Mm-hmm. Apple Watch is like the somewhat simple, somewhat successful, most successful iteration of it so far. But like it's still, it's that gap is still very much untapped. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that with my background of, of being in both worlds that I can help fill that yeah. or at least get more designers to to understand both sides better or encourage other designers to kind of pursue that path a little bit more. 
But to me, that's where the future is. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of prepping for that future. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. This is like prime real estate. Right. Untapped real estate. Right. And it's just, we know that, you know, computers used to fill a room. Now they fill our pockets. They're, they went from big to small mm-hmm. and more personal and closer to our, our persons. Um, it's got to, it's going to dissipate into some of these soft fabrics on our, on us somehow. And, uh, we haven't seemed to be able to figure out how to do that. I have ideas as to why that is. Yeah. Um, and they're just real legitimate constraints that need to be solved. So what are your thoughts on like the stuff that Nike's doing with like shoes and bringing tech into basketball shoes and things like that? I mean, that seems, I'm not sure exactly you know what you're referring to. Oh, okay. But it sounds the, like the a Nike adapt. That. It's like a shoe that has wires. So they designed them for basketball players who self the self lacing the self lacing ones yeah, yeah, yeah. right so that when they're not like when they're not playing they kind of loosen up so they're not right 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 those yeah, yeah. totally not those um, you know I was really skeptical the whole time yeah. they're developing it and they're teasing it and it didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me but I'm really impressed with their execution yeah. um, and the application of it. I mean, it went from like being, you know, let's mimic Marty McFly's concept yeah. to yeah. The first, the first version was like yeah, and but like that's how. T- I mean, I've watched history of tech and design happen enough to know that like the first iteration is almost always comically clunky, <laughs> and then it, but there's something to it that you can then see how, well, and and often it refines itself in ways that you would yeah. never expect. Um, so maybe we're looking at the comically clunky version right now, but even that is way more refined than I expected. I mean, I think, I think it's coming. I think yeah. uh, it's like I think you're, yeah. It's 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 just a matter of time. Microchips yeah. are super tiny. Things yeah. are being woven into fabric now. And yeah, definitely capacitive fibers woven into fabric with like Project Jacquard, and soon it seems like it's not that far off that we can weave, uh, you know, power cells and batteries lithium Jeez, in yeah. into fabric and stuff. Once we can make batteries soft, and we've now made, you know, screens or capacitive screens yeah. or uh, gesture systems uh, soft, it's not too far out that we'll make, you know, PCB boards soft yeah. and flexible. And and once they're soft and flexible, we can also make them three D. And oh. I mean, once we solve some heat issues and other things that are beyond my knowledge as an electronic <laughs> engineer, um, we're 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 going to be getting there very soon, and hopefully we'll have designers ready for that yeah. innovation to use that in a smart yeah. use apply that technology in a smart way yeah, i'm very excited for the health industry to yeah take advantage of this as well just because i know that this can be a good way to to make health uh and wellness a little better you know immersed with what we do yeah. and a little more uh you know uh, allowing people not to to destigmatize a lot of the things yeah um yeah, I think there's a really big opportunity to help as well. More than likely, it'll come through the military. Military yeah. come find some innovation. It always starts there. Yeah. The internet started there and yeah. everything. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure that that's probably happening right now. They're doing yeah, a maybe. lot of military stuff. If it is, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. I should find out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So then uh, let's talk about your recent uh, you know, work that you've been doing, let's say, the last two years or so. Yeah, so I, w- I spent the last... I started Levi's like three years ago and I just left um, the last couple months, but yeah, I was uh, brought on by a guy, Jonathan Chung, the head of design at, at Levi's really kind of endorsed me and got me the job there. And cause he's a guy that really believes in um, 
uh, that good design is good design. Yeah. So I came in without any fashion in my, you know, my portfolio, but he liked my design and my process. And he was like, yeah, this, this fits and this works. And I was given an opportunity to just then put together basically a kind of a fashion project um, to just prove that that actually does, no. those skills do actually translate. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to get the job. And um, yeah, it was a really good experience. Um, it was really interesting being like one of the only industrial designers there in a sea of fashion designers that are very, you know, they went to fashion school and they went to fashion jobs okay. and they've stayed there. Yeah, so they're like, there. they're very much like they did what they were trained to do, mm-hmm. which is unlike me. Um, and they're just brilliant, incredibly talented team that, um, you know, it was just, I spent a lot of my time just looking over the shoulders of yeah. what they were doing to try to understand their process and really understand the things that the tech world doesn't understand about mm about fashion, about why people make the decisions they make to wear the things that they wear um, and how you can try to, you know, what kind of research you have to do to be able to, you know, make those guesses and make them accurately mm-hmm. and how to, you know, I mean, Levi's has been the, their category leader for 200 years since they started. Yeah. Like they, they've been number one and have stayed number one. Jeez. And there's something special about that. And I really wanted to see the inside of that. And uh, yeah, you definitely get the sense when you're working there that it's it's the company is bigger than anybody. Ah, oh, simple, there. man. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, postal. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy to think about that. Yeah, I mean, I literally held uh, like one of my my first week there. They took uh, some of the oldest pair of jeans in existence and like let me touch them with like white go- like white gloves, and they're like literally blue denim jeans from like I think it was 1890. Um, it's just really, really old. I mean, it's, it's just hard to imagine this this company existing back then, and, and being a part of like the modern iteration of it was really a special feeling. Was it intimidating to be there when you first started? Oh yeah, always. Because you know you're not always. coming from this fashion, or even even when you got, you know, in the rhythm, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I've ever taken a job that wasn't incredibly intimidating. Hmm. You know, every one of my internships was scary as hell. One of my jobs, starting off and leaving and going off my own. Yeah. Scary as hell leaving that. Um, quitting a job is scary. All those moments are scary, but like uh, you, you just kind of get get used to um, leaping and and knowing that you're gonna be okay. Um, but so, yeah, and then you, you figure it out. Yeah. So don't play it safe. Don't. Oh, what a waste. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah. It's yeah. actually I I've played it safe a couple times in my career. I stayed with jobs that I should have left because I had plateaued or I had. You know, I'd learned everything I was going to learn and I wasn't really contributing anything new or of value. And I knew that, but I just wanted to stay, you know, to get that paycheck, to fill out the resume, to, you know, keep my family at the time, like generating income and bills being paid and not worth it. I regret doing that. And I did it twice and I regret it so much. It took months of psychological repair after Jeez. afterwards to get to recover and to get back my creative mojo and yeah. to get you know get myself back um the trade is not worth it mm. you really just have to in my opinion and i mean everyone's different maybe it's just my personality type maybe it's my star sign you know yeah. maybe it's just <laughs> being a capricorn or entp or whatever but um i think people know who they are and if you're anything like me life's too short just 
go where your heart goes, go where the passion goes, go with, go in the direction that scares you yeah. more often than not. And you're things provide things work out. Yeah. Um, in my, in my experience, if you give the, you know, the universe room to play in your life, mm-hmm. it, it treats you well. Yeah. That's At least that's advice. what I'm hoping right now is I have yeah, no yeah. job and no plan. <laughs> no, that, I think that's that's some solid advice to students right now. Yeah. Who are, you know, about to graduate in a couple months. Thinking it's about, so scary. Man. Yeah. It's so scary. I remember graduating and just being like so terrified that it wasn't going to work out. It was never going to yeah. work out. It was never going to have a career. And I remember how scared all my friends were mm-hmm. about, you know, I'll never make it as a designer. Mm-hmm. Like there's work out there. There's room for you. You're going to be fine. And now I look around and all my friends you know, have their interesting careers and their jobs and they're still stressed and they're still stressed about the next step. But like our, our fears back then just seemed silly in hindsight. No, it's going to work out. Yeah. I think the first year after you leave school is a really, it's a really big test for you. Yeah. When I graduated, I, I graduated at the peak of the recession. Yeah. So, it, so, yeah. so if you're graduating now, right, like yeah. you, you should be okay, but there's people graduating 2008, 2009 yeah. at the peak of the recession. Um, and it was really scary. That first yeah. year really told you so many answers, so many questions that I had were answered, you know, and it was a really big test because you, you're, you're going to stick with it and you knew that this was your career and you, you were passionate about it or you were just going to give in to the recession and be like, right. and a lot of people that I graduated with did give in and are not in the, profession or are in right. design but are doing other things and that's okay right. too yeah um that's but, the right path but, but that's you know there's going to be things out of your control that really test you mm-hmm. the recession is something that's out of your control other people that are decision makers that you just won't yeah you just have to adapt yeah, yeah and you adapt, and you will adapt like yeah. that's the thing is like i have friends that left design and went and did other things and at the time in my like juvenile like perception i was like oh they quit they're like you yeah. know like now I look back and I'm like, dude, that was the right decision for them. They're in they're in the places that work well for them. Yeah. And the the obstacles put in their way help steer them in that direction. Yeah. Um and that's just how life works. Just, You're gonna, it's just gonna happen. Yeah. Where you where you end up is gonna be right. It's yeah. gonna be right for you. As long as you keep going and you pursue, you know. Yeah. So why um so I mean Levi sounds like a dream job. Yeah, I mean you, okay. you you work at a company that makes staple jeans like yeah, and you, it was, you you're able to you know <laughs> wear you know you have access to all this Levi's catalog. Clothes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you were also of like Levi's has collaborated with amazing artists, right? Yeah. So you're able as a designer in house being there to kind of see that. Yeah, and get so kind of close that, and be around it a bit, and that was really exciting. Who are some like artists that you were able to interact with? Yeah, so I had a little bit of time interacting with Virgil Abloh, which was really fun. Not nearly enough time as I wanted. I just wanted to hang out with the guy all the time. I was just really interested in the guy in general. But yeah, you get to work on, you know, interesting collabs with even like companies. Like I worked on, you know, Snoopy collabs and Disney collabs, Star Wars. Got to go wow. through, like right before I left, actually, I got to go through the uh, um, Lucasfilms here in, yeah. in the Bay and, you know, see some of the original, you know, Star Wars art and sculptures and statues and be a part of that history, which was really, really yeah. fun. Um, yeah, that was all, that was all really, really great and interesting. But also, you know, when you're there, you realize how 
not glamorous it actually is it's just work everyone's just trying to sell some stuff yeah. and they're using these intellectual properties and these celebrities and these clout to to sell more stuff and mm. that's really all it is yeah. um so it's, it's fun particularly when you get it you know to actually interact with real true talent and real true creative genius and be a little bit closer to that and get a little bit more proximity to that which i you know really love that's something i really that's why i started my podcast i just yeah. wanted more attract more geniuses to me and enjoy their presence so that's that's really nice but then there's just a lot of marketing and yeah. you know, a lot of storytelling and selling stuff <laughs> that's all it is is there anything in the market right now that you didn't realize oh yeah there's a ton i mean so we we released so my my job actually was accessories okay. um accessories department was very small um and and still is kind of small compared to other uh the industry standards in a lot of ways but you know i got a small team there that was like a small team within the big company and it was really cool because we were that small team had a lot of autonomy um that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were just doing you know five pocket denim Mm -hmm. um and you know a lot of meetings and a lot of iteration a lot of debate with every little small change and every small decision there it's kind of you know because there's a lot of pressure, that's their flagship. I, me being off to the side and accessories, uh, was kind of free. I could I could take risks. I could make um, bold, scary decisions to a certain extent. And I had a really great team of um, uh, merchandisers that I was working with, and and good designers on my team too. That um, we all kind of got each other, and we all vibed, and we all knew how to what we wanted to do. And so we we were able to grow that category a lot. Um, take it from what it was and make it something very, a lot bigger and, you know, see growth every season and see sales numbers moving, mm-hmm. which, you know, you don't always get, you don't always get to see, um, you know, your, your work make a dent. You don't, a lot of, I mean, in, in particular in fashion, we're, yeah. we're designing like, you know, 300 to 500 concepts and prototypes and stuff that eventually gets whittled down to like 50 by the time it actually makes it to wow. the shelves. Um, so you see a lot of your babies get killed mm-hmm. constantly, and that that can be that can be tough to like see like particularly like no. you know if you're a designer, you think you have really great ideas, but generally if you're a designer and you're you're thinking way farther ahead or way bigger or way uh, you're on a different mindset than the average consumer, mm-hmm. you know right? So we're designing things that are really cool and would look great on an Instagram post or would look great in a lookbook but like really no one's gonna buy it yeah and so a lot of that stuff just gets cut off by the time it gets it's time to like you know make decisions to write some checks get something produced and so you watch a lot of what quote unquote your best ideas just hit the cutting room floor and if you can't handle that you're not going to do well um in the fashion scene you got to really be okay with that being a thing and it takes some just like you know getting critiqued constantly takes developing a thick skin and detaching yourself from your work mm-hmm. to, so that it can be critiqued and you can look at that objectively. It's yeah, it's the same kind of thing yeah. there. So now that you've been a part of fashion, uh, is this something that you are open to staying, you know, taking opportunities in, in fashion? Oh, sure. Like let's say like North Face or Columbia. Oh yeah. I mean, the, uh, there's a good uh, practical application of performance fashion, particularly yeah. being conducive to industrial design. There's functional elements there. There's, right. It's heavy on the production. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm more interested in that than I am necessarily just pure straight streetwear fashion, right. whatever. Cause I do like the solving problems rather than just being, you know, a cultural tastemaker. Um, 
but yeah, I would be open to that. But again, I'd be especially open to, you know, bridging that tech soft no. gap. But yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunities there these days. But where another one? Yeah. So now, so what's next? What's next for you? I mean, I, I know. know yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you recently came back from a trip, you know, from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of settling back and here in the Bay Area, so many opportunities. Yeah. And you're just kind of taking it day by day. Yeah, I, lo- I love being in the Bay. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of seeing if I can't carve out a future here. Because yeah. um, I do, I'm surprised at how much I love San Francisco. But yeah, I'm just trying really hard not to rush into the next thing and actually give myself time mm-hmm. that I have the luxury of actually taking right now to to feel out what my next step is and where my mindset yeah. is. Um, and traveling a bit has helped mm-hmm. um, kind of get that mindset. I've been writing a lot. Um, I might be publishing some stuff soon. But, okay. Um, to try to like really kind of, again, help yeah gain an awareness of where my my mindset is at and and focusing on the podcast a bit which has been really fun so not working too hard but just working enough to like kind of percolate a little bit Mm -hmm. but yeah i have have a couple things cooking currently um and we'll see we'll see what happens yeah see what um you know we're we're close to wrapping up this uh this kind of conversation we're having but um what is something that you'd give uh, like an advice you would give yourself back when you were a student. Oh man, not worry so much. Like I said earlier, it's, yeah. it's gonna work out. Let's chill out. Yeah, and I, I think the worries and the fears and um, the stresses and anxieties made me unkind, mm-hmm. um, hard to work with, and and it affected my work. I, I can go back and actually look at the things I designed at that early stage and young stage of my life and see anger and the fear and the, mm. and the concerns in in the work it, it does affect um i don't know if anybody else can see it but it's very obvious to me so i wish i'd taken more time to uh, take care of myself uh and you know get some sleep every once in a while uh eat better yeah. go for some walks just to get um get healthy yeah. and 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 focus more on like the relationships at the time because that all all that stuff does everything, affect the yeah, design work. Everything is connected. For sure, yeah. Especially your your mental health. Yeah. You know, your your well-being is super and that's not, important. That's not to say don't pull some all-nighters. Like, right. I think I believe right. pulling all-nighters is actually an important part. Um, get obsessed. Live an unbalanced life of pure obsession for your craft. That's yeah. fine. But, like, also know that part of your craft is the person you are mm-hmm. and take care of that. Absolutely. Um, there's any books that you're reading right now? Oh, I'm reading so many books, but it, none of them are design. They're all uh, they're all mixed between Stoic philosophy and Buddhism. Those are the best books. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you wanna. I have yeah. like a library of like a hundred design books, and sometimes yeah. I'm like, I don't want to read any of this stuff. No, it's the narratives. I mean, filling the well is not just about looking at design. Yeah. It's understanding people. It's understanding thoughts and philosophy. I got Marcus Aurelius, meditations and Stoic philosophy right there. Um, yeah, it's I've got some Kafka under there. It's and it's it's amazing and it, it's yeah. fulfilling. It's life affirming. It um, and it, it is more related to creativity than you realize. That's great. Yeah, books underrated, <laughs> underrated. Yeah, people don't read them. Yeah. Um, what is one designer that you look up to? Someone you admire? Oh man, I was actually just trying to think of this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um. 
And it's hard. You know, I really have been um, stoked on Tom Sachs. He's more of an artist and installation artist than sure. a designer, but incredibly aesthetic and, and very designery in, in his approach. I need to get him on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Sachs usually tunes in. So yeah, yeah. Tom Sachs, he watches. <laughs> yeah. um, He's a regular. <laughs> Yeah, who else? Oh, I was I just in Barcelona and Gaudi was uh, blew my mind. Wow. Gaudi and uh, design, uh, just prolific, hard worker, and you can see his development through through his work. You take a walk through his work, yeah. particularly um, La Sagrada de Familia. Mm-hmm. Like he started the building in his I think it was thirties mm-hmm. and worked on it till his death, and it just literally building it up. Jeez. So from the ground up, you can see who he was in his thirties. The world was in his 80s. Ooh, and uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And he just, I, you know, looking at textbooks and, you know, studying him in art history and design history in school, kind of glossed over, didn't really care about him. Yeah. But then when I saw his work actually in Barcelona, it was a spiritual experience, a different thing wow. entirely. It was just, that's so cool. You get to see like a physical. Yeah. You can actually look, you can't go into the, the first building that he, he, the first part of the building is this crypt. Um, a crematorium I'm probably saying it wrong but you can look in it and just looks you know stereotypical Roman Colosseum architecture that you're used to for you know Catholic monasteries or Catholic you know cathedrals and it was pretty prototypical for what that was and then by the time you get to the top it's just it's an alien spacecraft it's completely different that's pretty cool I, I think that'd be really cool to do to, to, to do something that Def- defines you through your career yeah and it, it shows building. evolution working on like nature you know that's nature you yeah. know that's awesome i mean you know like you said earlier we are eventually 100 years from right now we'll leave this earth because mm-hmm. i plan to be really old mm-hmm. uh what kind of legacy do you plan on what or i guess that's a, it's a very heavy question but no, what but is something about it what is something you want to leave behind something you want to be known for um, you know, that's like the main question when I left Levi's. Yeah. That has been the main question that I've been asking myself the last yeah. couple of months and what I've been writing about. Um, the truth is, I'm not going to leave anything behind. You know, everybody that I know, uh, I'm going to die very soon. Yeah. Like, I, I'm a big believer in life is a near-death experience. Like, the yeah. person who is getting hit by a car this morning and me are not that much farther apart than death than each other you know <laughs> that's heavy but like really it's a stoic thing you meditating on your death yeah. meditating on your death is what gives your life some vibrancy so i've been trying to do that and the truth is i'm going to die soon everybody that ever knew my name ever remember my name is also going to die soon and uh in much less than the time that it takes for a plastic cup to decompose you know like yeah. like that that bottle yeah. is gonna outlast yeah, everybody that bottles. you've ever yeah. met. Yeah, this is that's and true. Anybody who ever remembers yeah. your name. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm I'm not worrying about what I'm leaving behind as much as like, you know, can I? The thing that seems to value be of most importance with all that taken into account is like, can I help other people? You know, make the best of their time. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what would make my time good. So yeah. my podcast. Um, and the things I'm writing are really like, you know, how can I help unlock other people's potential yeah. um, while, while meeting my own and while creating my own things and helping other people? Because, you know, creating has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I want other people to have equally good experiences with creating. And I think that probably will be that's fair. My, my legacy, hopefully, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, you know, wake up, 
you know, be good, be good to people, mm-hmm. just be grateful because you just never know. Yeah, and push your people. Mm-hmm. Push everybody you know to be the best part of themselves and, no. you know, take that leap. You, you have a friend that's like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book or start a t-shirt company. No. You be the guy that, like, pushes them off that cliff and make sure that they make that jump. Yeah. yeah. They die. See ya. Yeah. yeah, do it. Yeah. I'll be your first sure. investor. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll be That's the first awesome. person to buy your shirt. Really good advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your hospitality. It was really awesome to finally get to meet you here in the Bay Area. Um and uh yeah, we're gonna continue to um, you know, keep the dialog open and hopefully we're able yeah. to do something with you in the near future. Absolutely, man. I'm stoked to be here. Sounds good. Yeah. One more question. Do you have any brothers in baseball? No. Okay. There's a lot of Bowers in baseball. No. Uh, well, there's a lot of, um, you look like Bryce Harper. Has <laughs> anyone ever told me that? No, no, never. Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I only know who you're talking about because people have told me that. Oh. <laughs> it depends on what part of the t- in the world I'm in. If I'm in, a, well, back when I had long Dude, hair, if what? I was in Asia, everybody called me Thor. <laughs> <laughs> or now they call me Conor McGregor. Which is crazy. But, yeah, but then when I'm in the States, it's Bryce Harper, and I don't even know who the guy is. I should look him up. That's it. The Bryce Harper, it's, uh, it's a good. He's ace. All right. Okay. Sounds like a off. really good looking guy. Yeah, he's a really good looking guy. <laughs> he knows his shit. He's like 22, 23 years old, something like that. Big pff, Hall of Famer at 22 years old. But thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. Um, and you know, for us, our podcast, this is the whole point to uncover people that are doing amazing things, mm-hmm. give them a platform, give them a voice cool. so that we can, you know, get as many people and inspire as many people as we can. So well, I'm grateful to be a part of it. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you next time.